Hi there, this is Steve, but this isn't the beginning of the show. Before we begin, I invite you to check out my free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or leader with financial responsibility in your company, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. I'll cover how a winning strategy combined with operational excellence drives higher cash flow and firm value. You can watch it for free at cultbar.com. I'll also link it in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who want to elevate their game and reach new levels of abundance and success. I'm Steve Coffrin, the founder of Coltvar, and I've spent my entire career growing and turning around companies, and together we'll explore the latest happenings in the world of strategy and finance. Let's do this. Before we begin, just remember that this podcast is for educational purposes and the information shared herein should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out our terms and conditions in the show notes to learn more. Now on to the show. Stephen, welcome to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast. I'm excited for our conversation. So let's just jump right in. You have this miraculous story that fueled your career path. Do you mind sharing it with our audience? Not at all. And first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. I I certainly appreciate the time. I hold you in very high regard and I respect what you do in your process. So I'm just really honored that you would take some time and ask me to come on with you. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. It means means a lot to me. So, you know, to, to, to backtrack just really through my story, very categorically traditional where my, my world is concerned with who I am and, and I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic. And I started using drugs and drinking alcohol when I was 15. By the time I was 19, I was in inpatient treatment in Wickenburg, Arizona at a great facility called the Meadows. And really just to fast forward that is, you know, there's no surprises with any of that. The story's just what you'd expect and what people know of addiction and alcoholism. It, it ravaged me. Uh, I was immediately an addict and alcoholic the first time I used and drank. So 15 years old, right? Yep. Um, you know, at, at that age... How do you even come across that? Is it you're hanging out with the wrong crew? Is it something you went out and and you sought out or you're just at parties and you came upon it? Like, how do you even get into that? Sure. Great question. Very apropos for you to interrupt because really I can power through my story so quickly. And I'm glad you asked that. You know, again, you know, water will seek its own level and just did not have that good orderly direction as I was going through my formative years. And being around some of the, for lack of a better term, some of the wrong people, we all found one another and we all were looking for answers. And one of the answers we thought we all found was through marijuana and alcohol. So when we had a chance to introduce that into our environment, we did. And from there, and, and older kids were able to get us what we wanted and it was far too accessible. And so we took advantage of that. And above and beyond that, again, that's where it was an immediate, it was an immediate transition for me. Literally, I, I was just immediately where I had said I was. I was immediately in that category of daily use, yeah, which is painful and sad, but, but also a blessing. So that was where I was able to find what I wanted. And then that nature of my personality took over very, very quickly, which again, to me, isn't, is not unexpected, uh, nor a surprise to me or, or anyone else. And then again, uh, winding up from 15 to 19, winding up in inpatient treatment. And and that was a gift because that was where I was made to understand who I was and what I suffered from. And who I was, was an addict and alcoholic. And what I suffered from was addiction and alcoholism. And I am really, Steve, you know, it sounds, sometimes it sounds really crazy to people who have not lived that quote unquote, but the, the fact that you end up being so grateful for that, but truly as we, as we progress further, it is the antithesis and the foundation you know, that and my relationship with my Lord and Savior, that, that is what makes me who I am and allows me to do what I do. So I am just eternally grateful that that was the Lord's calling for me. So at 19 years old, you're in treatment. And after you go through this treatment program, you were off everything and you started a, a whole new life or tell me Correct. how things progressed from there. Another great question. So thank you. Off everything and you know, one of the things that comes up as I think about this time was they really wanted me to go, especially at 19. They're like, please go into sober living, which by the way, especially being that my wheelhouse is, is treatment and recovery, they were so right. And I, and I had a really tough counselor and I loved her, but I, I made my case. 
And I'm like, listen, I know what to do. I've got a great therapist to work with back. I was living in Arizona at the time, Steve. I'm like, I want to go back to Arizona. I want to kind of like plug back in. They asked me to make a commitment to do 90 meetings in 90 days. That's where you go to 90 recovery meetings in 90 days. Uh, I personally liked the recovery in AA. It just was a good fit for me. So I did that. I did a 90 and 90. I went right to work with a counselor who had helped me before I went into treatment. And from there, I really, I, I was sort of going to school, but I wouldn't quite call it going to school. And I very quickly realized what I wanted to do was I wanted to really work full time and, and to continue to apply my craft and my gifting that the Lord provided me with. And uh, my family had a very successful uh, commercial real estate business. It was a timeshare company. My father is a founder and developer. It's called Shell Vacations. And not long after that, I started working for the first time in the family business while I was in Chicago. I was never really great scholastically, but professional life agreed with me. I loved the routine. I loved the consistency. I loved the fact that I could achieve things through hard work and through skill set and gifting. And that took me out to Anaheim. And I, I really dove into a full-time career in the timeshare slash vacation ownership industry in, in my family's company. And that was just remarkably gratifying for me. Let me go back to you know the, sure. the 15 year old Steven. And yes. even before that, did you have like an addictive personality before that? Were you like the kid who couldn't put down like a, a bag of chocolate, you eat the whole thing, or you'd become addicted to other activities? Did you see this type of behavior in you early on? Or is this something that just caught you out of nowhere when you're 15 and when you tried alcohol and, and marijuana for the first time? I didn't see the ism as much. That's what I call it, what you're describing. And I love that part of it. I see it a lot more in my personality now. And with my level of awareness, I, I more so saw and am aware of just a tremendous emptiness I had. I really felt completely unfulfilled and I couldn't find any peace or comfort. And at a young age, that's not normally something that a 15-year-old is necessarily having cognitive recognition of. Sure. But I was just very aware of being extremely uncomfortable in my own skin, not ever feeling like there was a place for me and feeling like there was no answer to all that. I had massive awareness for a brother. And then the minute that I used, I was like, okay, this is... <laughs> This is the answer to everything I have been missing. You know, I was very blessed and, and you have it. Uh, I wrote a book that was published in November called Filling the Void. And that is where I came up with that title because that was that first time in my life that that emptiness was filled up. And so you, that was just immediate for me. Super excited to jump into this idea of your book. But before we get into that, let's go back to Anaheim now. Yeah. So you're in Anaheim, you're, sure. you're working in the timeshare business, you're successful, yeah that work ethic and seeing those results being manifested through your work ethic probably helped you to fill this void and huge at least keep you away from these other things that you know were harmful to you Absolutely. and then were you able to stay clean since that day or did you have periods where you would fall back into like relapse or go down the wrong path so again we look for that blessing amidst the curse it's a great part of my story that i'm grateful for Sobriety offers something called the promises. And I know that our emphasis on this call isn't necessarily sobriety or a design solution for sober living, but it's just such a huge part of my professional life as well that I'm happy that I can share on both ends. And sobriety offers something called the promises and the promises, it's 12 promises. And they really do. You will see universally, statistically, almost a hundred percent of the promises coming true for people like myself who stay sober. So I had the fulfillment of all those promises and you're spot on. Working in the industry that I went to created a different high for me. I loved making sales. I loved performing. I was ridiculously driven and very immature and young and, and green. And so I wanted to push back against authority. I wanted to have a larger position than what I was capable of because it didn't matter to me that I didn't know all the mechanics of it. I felt that with my work ethic and my abilities that I could overcome that and make my way and find the answers and drive better numbers. And that actually was true. I saw a bunch of adults, so to speak, much older men who had been in the industry for years and years and years kind of plodding along. And I'm like, like these guys can't carry my pen. And again, that's a reflection of how poor my attitude was. I'm like, they shouldn't be running anything. Let me run this. I wanted to run the Anaheim facility and I'll give you XYZ in a year, which they all thought was hysterical as an underperforming part of our company. But sure enough, 
you know, when I, when they actually handed me the keys, I delivered the numbers. So that was fantastic, but it was also a problem because, you know, I can't today in my life, I've got to stay grounded in humility. Today in my life, I have to be on the lookout for ego and ego. I love the acronym for ego, edging God out. And I can't think that what goes on with me is because of what I do or because of something remarkable about me. It happens because of the gift of my sobriety and the blessing of my Lord and Savior. All that being said, back then, you know, youth is truly wasted on the young. I got further and further away from my program of sobriety. I had all these people working for me. I had money. I had a car. I had an apartment. Like I was that guy. And sure enough, 12 years in, I had a terrible relapse. Really, really catastrophic. I mean, what caused that? I mean, here you are, you're successful, right? You realize that you were in a bad place when you're 15 to 19. Absolutely. So you're you're scarred from that experience, probably. Here it is, you have everything, all right? Everything. Everything. Quote everything is right. Quote everything. Right. Yep. And then was it just one day that you're like, hey, look. I want some excitement or was this, uh, was it like a progression? Did you reach like a burnout state in your life? How do you like fall back into that lifestyle? Hey, real quick. I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you're an entrepreneur or business leader and you want to take your game to the next level, or you want to avoid being crushed out there during these uncertain times, be sure to check out our free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence by visiting cultivar.com or through our Boosting Your Financial IQ app. I'll link this in the show notes as well. I'm also offering some freebies, so be sure to check it out. Now back to the show. And, it, and again, it's, it's awesome. This is awesome for me already because I can ha- be on both sides of the fence in this context with you. I suffer from a disease that tells me that I don't have a disease. And that is really the truth. Addicts and alcoholics will tell people universally that there is always that sort of little realm of doubt or that little voice or that little devil on your shoulder to be like, you know, you're good now. You're, it's going to be okay. You'll manage it this time. And if someone like myself doesn't stay plugged into a program of sobriety, it's very much like someone who needs dialysis. I mean, they need dialysis, or if you're, if you're a diabetic and you need insulin, you need those things to continue to keep what you suffer from in a remonitory state. I need sobriety and my spiritual condition to be right to keep my disease of addiction and alcoholism in remission. I was so far away from that, that eventually I bought into my my own story. And I'm like, you know, I, I have the right to enjoy myself and like have fun. And I can tell you very specifically that when I relapsed, it was one pill. I took one pill that somebody offered me, nothing hurt, nothing was wrong. I didn't need to take this pill. I took this pill. And when I took that pill, that is a relapse. I am no longer clean and sober. And being the personality type that I am, when I was there and I was relapsed, I'm like, well, listen, I took a pill. I might as well like do this whole deal now. And therein it all raised its ugly head and I jumped right in and it's a progressive illness. It's waiting on me. So I was right back to where I was and worse almost overnight. And did you sneak it at first? I mean, you're a professional guy. Nope. You have a team that you lead. I mean, did you just let it come out? And, it and people just, are like, no, there was no sneaking. I was, it was on, it was like game time. I had a bunch of young guys working for me and they all were running and gunning and I wanted to run and gun with them and they loved me. So I thought, you know, whatever I viewed as love back then, and we got crazy and it was fun. And I was single and like, I was like, let's go. And no, I didn't sneak anything. It was, it was completely out of control. It was awful. And so how long did this period last? It lasted for four years. And it is a, it is a, only by the grace of God that I'm alive and on the phone with you. Hmm. I should not be here. That is the real truth. I have no business being alive. I am alive. I was spared. I was spared for a greater purpose that, you know, you don't meet people like me who suffer what I suffer from. You don't meet old, you don't meet old people like me. Sure. If you are an addict and alcoholic and you are active in your disease, you're either dead or in jail. And yeah, I'm and blessed I, to be sober and here I am. Yeah, and I could testify to that. I mean, my dad went down that path, you know, when he was young. And you're right, he's not around today. He passed away and he passed away as Sorry an addict. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, and, and I think your story is, is good. You know, although you went through a, a very challenging time in your life and um, low points and, and high points in between. It's great to have you on today because the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast is about these business leaders, these entrepreneurs, and other professionals out there. And some of them may be dealing with what you went through right now. 
some of them may be dealing with kids <laughs> that are 15 Certainly. years old, like you were, and they're Absolutely. not aware of that, or they have other family members. I mean, it's all around us. And that's why I love your story. And I, I love and appreciate your, your vulnerability in, in sharing these things that are very personal. What was it that caused you to wake up like in the midst of all this, you're four years into this and you probably hit rock bottom or something. Like, Absolutely. What was that day? And, and what did that look like? Yeah, I did. I had hit rock bottom. It's amazing how much, you know, you're, you're referencing the title of, of your podcast, which I love. And I believe that it's a blessing to have had these life experiences. And I think they translate remarkably to every realm of life and everything that's relevant, whether it's the workforce, whether it's home life, community life, it's all about an initiative for us all to be able to live our most purposeful and best life. Yep. And so, so I will tell you, lending itself to that, you know, I did, I hit a, a, a monumental bottom. And, and if we were topically going in a different direction, we would dive deeper into that. But, you know, every kind of thing you can imagine associated with the bottom is where I was. I was unemployed. I was unemployable. I was on the cusp. Like, I mean, I was right there where I was going to be homeless. Like the eviction was coming very shortly. I was like physically dirty. This is just how it was. And I remember it like it was one minute ago. And this was over 16 years ago. And I hit that bottom. And on a day where I did not think I was going to wake up, I did wake up. And when I woke up, I spun around to my knees and I prayed and I asked for my life back in sobriety. And again, I understand what the, the emphasis and the initiative of this call is, but I'd be remiss in not mentioning the truth. You know, sure. I did that is that is where my connection with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, occurred on that day, November 12, 2004. I cried out for help and I asked Jesus to save me. And I was raised in a completely Jewish family in a completely Jewish household. And I was not raised Christian. And I did call out to Christ. And I am telling you, as, as I sit here on the phone with you at this moment, I like stood right up. I dusted myself off. I went downstairs. I was living in this apartment building. I walked across Wilshire Boulevard. I lived in Westwood, California. And there was a bunch of guys outside of a church smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, those are alcoholics. Mm -hmm. And I walked right up to them. I'm like, hey, is there a meeting? They're like, yeah, there's a meeting in about... 10 minutes. And they gave me that look that you give to people who really need a meeting right. and they pointed to the door and I earned that look. And I remember the look on my face and I walked right into that meeting and I took a newcomer chip. And again, as I had just referenced on November 12th this year, I just celebrated by the grace of God, 16 years clean and sober. Wow. What an amazing story and, and what courage you had and humility you had to get on your knees and to ask for help. I think that's absolutely amazing. So fast forward 16 years, yeah. you're the founder of CurePro. You're the CEO yeah. of a Restore Detox Center. Uh, yes, you sir. just wrote a book. I um, did. <laughs> so yeah, a lot going on here. So that's what personal, what personal struggles did you encounter while building your professional path? And talk more about why did you decide to go from the timeshare business and you know that that's like a family business to yes. going into these detox centers and cure pro and everything mm -hmm. else that you're doing? Great, great question. Much of it was done for me. And I really mean that one of the things that I live by and with is look, nothing happens if we just sit there and hope something happens. We have we all must do the footwork. That's the understatement of the call right now. I can't sit here in my house and hope things happen. I have to make them happen. But prayerfully, I, I keep turning things over to God. And I ask my Lord and Savior to, to direct me and guide me. And I worked for a long, long time. After I got sober again, I worked back in my family's business. And then above and beyond that, I went and worked with outside timeshare companies. And eventually, I started the endeavor with one of my best friends. I started to restore detox centers almost four years ago, while I was still working in the timeshare industry. And we just celebrated our third year open. And then this year, I've had the blessing. I became the sole principal owner of, of the actual entity. He had different opportunities in his life he wanted to focus on. So we did a transition and the entity become, became myself and my wife's entirely. And as that developed, eventually at some point, it was made very clear to me that my focus needed to be on working full-time in recovery, I would be very often at my timeshare job and I was very focused on my duties and my responsibilities and my results. But literally, whether it was on lunch or if I would take a break, I would be on the phone and be sort of running this facility from my desk. Hmm. Again, never to the detriment of my task at hand because I was very committed to my work. But 
as that continued to progress and as I, and then there was a learning curve there. I had never worked professionally in the recovery industry before. I had certainly never opened a treatment center, let alone a six bed facility where we bought a house up on a mountain in Poway. And it's, it's absolutely a beautiful, incredible location. And it's a medical detox. So we have immediate medical services on site. And then it's a six bed residential facility. We had never done any of that, but none of that was going to stop us. And we had remarkable people who worked with us and we, we learned as we went along and I really started to soak it all up. And at some point it was made abundantly clear to me through a lot of things, but I want to be more specific about what matters about this part of it. When it was made clear to me that it was time for me to transition, you know, I had this comfort of a, of a remarkable position and a great income from it and a lot of security. And we have young kids in the timeshare industry. And I'm very grateful for every bit of that, not to mention it has continued to evolve me professionally and drive me professionally through my life. But it was made abundantly clear to me that it was time for me to take this energy in another direction. And I had to take the risk of leaving the comfort and the security of what I know and had always done and pour into this newly developed passion that, that was part of, of how I survived in this world. And again, I'm very blessed. And you certainly know my wife. I married way out of my league. <laughs> you guys you are a good Nicole match for each well. other. I'll tell you that. I love her. Right? Thank you. I married, I, I do not deserve her, but I will do the best I can to make her not regret that awful decision she made when she said yes. <laughs> so I am very blessed in my marriage, brother. And I turned to my wife and like, without hesitation, she was like, absolutely, it is time. I want you to do exactly that. I want you to focus on restore. I want you to keep building it. I want you to be there. I want you to learn. And you know, that's all I needed to hear. And I, and I started to soak it up and that really became my passion. And, I, and I'll tell you, and I want to answer the other part of your question because Cure Pro ties into it. I am very blessed with a dear, dear friend in my life who happens to be my next door neighbor. He is just one of the most brightest, capable men I've known. And I'm, I'm going to give him a nod on the air. His name's Dave Oakley. He's just a great guy. And I love him. I call him Oaks. And as this new chapter of my life was unfolding, I was like, hey, I need, like, I need some time because he's just a remarkable consultant, professionally, very bright guy. And we went out for, for breakfast and I just walked him through this vision I had. I wanted to be able to make myself available to companies and to places like churches and schools and to people where there was crisis in the company standpoint very, very many times. And I, I do not like this terminology because it's very impersonal, but of course, companies' greatest assets are, of course, their people. Mm-hmm. So very often an asset will be in crisis, a a, a performer, a producer, a provider, and a company will be in crisis. And no matter how vast the company is, they have no idea which way to go. Certainly there's outside services they can reach towards for help, but there's very little personal care offered. And I had this concept like, could I be that touch point for these companies? Could I be a person that comes into churches and offers testimonial and guidance to both staff and to parishioners? Could I be someone that can make an impact with the youth through schools? And then kind of circling back to the corporate realm, you've got a VP or you've got a producer who's in crisis and it's, it's so much more cost effective to repair than replace. Can I bridge that gap and help them? Because I know what I went through and who the Lord turned me into. Can I help them find their way with this individual? And we kind of were vetting that out. And he, he gave me a great piece of advice. He's like, Stephen, you got to chase the right rabbit. And I love that. He's like, you need to focus on being able to plug in and, and give that support, but it needs to be for addiction and alcoholism, but it can be offered in the corporate setting and in the professional world. And that's what helped me develop CurePro. And what was amazing is I'm, I was like pro-cure or like a professional curing or I'm like CurePro. He's like, oh, if CurePro's out there, that's great. And like, of course, the domain CurePro is available which was to me a sign. I liked the name a bunch and I thought it would be gone. It was right there. And I started CurePro and and I want to share one more piece with you about CurePro. Really the only thing I did with CurePro, Steve, is I built a really good website with the help of a good web designer. And then I'm telling you, I cannot emphasize this enough. I did nothing. And I'm not the least bit ashamed of that because just one person after another started finding CurePro, reaching out to CurePro, contacting me and having me do either half days with their sales teams or do corporate initiatives where I would be with, meet with their HR heads and just share with them about the trials and tribulations of addiction and alcoholism and where the solution was. And it was just almost all word of mouth. And that's, it continues really to be that way today. It, it's continued to grow. 
And one of the other unexpected gifts was a tremendous amount of professionals in our community and elsewhere sought me out and started doing one-on-ones with me. And that coaching aspect of CurePro really came to life. And that became one of the most gratifying parts for me. And it got so busy on that end. And I'll I'll end this part of it with this. I I had a very prominent physician that I was working with. I really had a lot of respect for. And I told him one day as we were meeting, I said, I think it's time I got an office. I mean, I literally do not have an office. And I'm, I'm also proud of that. I meet with people. Sometimes we go for walks on the beach. Sometimes we meet for coffee. Sometimes we meet in their office. But I don't have brick and mortar office. So I think I'm going to get an office, get set up. And, and he's like, Hey, don't do that. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? I'm like, I mean, I think I need an office. I got to, I'm super busy. He's like, what's great about you is that you don't have an office. Hmm. What's incredible about getting time with you is it's so organic. It's so heartfelt. It comes from such a genuine place. And we don't get pulled into this. Like everyone has this perception of what your work would be like in this room with a couple of chairs. And he's like, it's sure. so great that it's not that. And you know, I really took that to heart. And so to this day, my office kind of is wherever we all meet and it's been awesome. And, and that's been a great part of the whole story and the development. Yeah. I and mean, that's great. And, and I love how you go to them and you, you meet them where they're at. So what are you seeing it. out there in the professional world with executives? I mean, is there one thing or one substance that is abused more than others? Is it, is it alcohol yes. or is there a certain drug <laughs> it's, that's, it's, that's real popular? What are you seeing? It's if I, if I put, if I put that hat on to where I think about the quote unquote professional people that I have the blessing and privilege of having some time with, there is a lot of conversation, a lot of work done around alcohol. And by the way, I want to, I want to qualify one part of that, that because it's important. That doesn't mean I'm sitting there working with someone who's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. That actually very often is not the case. What, what it does mean is that I very often am meeting Steve with someone who is starting to have a poor relationship with alcohol. And it's starting to create some degrees of unmanageability. And I am very passionate about that part of, of my work life when it is in the corporate and professional world. And if you and by the way, it's an equal opportunist. It can be the CEO or it can be someone who helps keep the building in impeccable order. And both of those men or women can have the same type of struggles. And that's a really intriguing and passionate part of the conversation for me because I am not one of those ones. Look, I'm an addict and alcoholic. It doesn't mean the rest of the world is. Sure. And that's really usually the lead-in from professional people who seek me out. You know, do you think I'm an alcoholic? I'm like, I don't know. Do you think you're an alcoholic? And and I don't just do that to turn around on them. I want to hear where their heart's at and then kind of take a look at their patterns and behavior. Alcohol is absolutely the most prevalent offender. Everything else that's going on in the world is hitting everyone else on an equal basis. But alcohol has been a lot of the work when it's come to the professional world or the corporate world. Now, what if somebody is noticing some bad behavior from one of their employees and suspects that there may be some alcohol issues or or other things causing them problems? Is it their responsibility to say something? I mean, how do you approach that? Like, is that even somebody's place to say something? So it's a, it's a great question. I, I think it's all of our places to help everyone in our life, no matter what role they play in our life, be safe and, and enjoy the gift of accountability. And I think there's a reason why we all have great HR departments. And there's a reason why we all have help and support, no matter how large or small our companies or our corporate life or our professional life is. And I think first and foremost, obviously, if there's something that involves a, an actual uh, member of a company or, or someone that is a producer on their team and they notice quote unquote behavior or, or something detrimental in their conduct or in their actions, I think very often they have the right and the responsibility to, to confront that head on. Uh, sure. I don't think that that should be done alone. Uh, I think that should be done with the assistance and supervision of, of HR. And I think that's often a case where HR will then reach out to someone like myself through CurePro. And I absolutely love that part of it because it is miraculous and remarkable what can come of those sessions where you engage and you aren't shaming someone, you're nurturing them and empowering them and asking them to take a look at what's going on. It's, it's a delicate balance for sure. And, no, and that, that's really great. That's great advice. I like that. And I like how you said you know, making sure you bring somebody else into, yeah, is, is really important. So let, let me ask you this and, and let's switch gears over to your book. Cause this is the part that I'm really excited to dive into. 
your book, Filling the Void, mm-hmm. you talk about this void. We, you mentioned it at the beginning of the, the conversation, you know, that we all carry around this void in life, right? And I once Absolutely. saw a bumper sticker or heard of a bumper sticker rather that said, don't judge me because I sin differently than you. And, you know, I think we all have this void and whether we fill the void with drugs or alcohol or food or exercise or video games or pornography or whatever it is, right? There's tons of things that we engage in, or maybe it's hard work, right? Or there's tons of things that we do to fill these voids. Talk more about that. And does everybody have a void? Do voids like come and go? I'm curious to hear more about this concept. I love the question. I, I want to be very mindful to not necessarily speak for everyone. I want to start out with that. I think that I see and experience that people turn to a variety of different things for a variety of different reasons to find and to create fulfillment. And I truly understand that. And to your point, I think as we change and evolve as people and grow and find out more about ourselves, I think what we turn to can change as well. And I think it's a very natural occurrence. I I hate that part of things. It's one of my convictions and passions to help. If people want help seeing where there's better fulfillment available, I am game and I want to engage in that. I have a lot of that still. It's just, it's different things. And, and you mentioned a bunch of stuff and look, I love to work out. That is a real natural lift for me. I am also really, I have a really funny relationship with food. I'm either on my nutrition or I am off. And I'm off, if I'm off, like I don't eat a cookie. I don't believe in eating a cookie. I think it's sacrilegious to eat a cookie. I think it's good to eat a bag of cookies. <laughs> right. So no, go don't eat all, a cookie. That's a waste. Yeah. Eat like 19 Oreos and then be sick and then get on the bike the next morning and take care of yourself. Now, (laughs) again, and by the way, it's good to have a laugh. Like we can't, like we're not curing world hunger here talking about real things. So I like to have a laugh. But That is like, I love that part of my personality, but that's part of my personality that almost killed me. So again, circling back to your point. Yes. I think many, many people have different versions of this. And I think it is remarkable and poignant and beautiful to where people can find fulfillment and understand that 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 all of that stuff around that emptiness, it is a lie. It's a lot of shame-based stuff. It's a lot of old tapes. It's a lot of stuff that really remarkable people carry around and they're carrying some really poor context around and it needs to be debulked and the power needs to be taken away from it. And it's it's actually easy to do it It's just, there has to be a really transparent exchange of information and it has to be looked at. And then it does start to dissipate and it's a two-way street. I love giving suggestions. I always call them respectful suggestions. Because a lot of times, brother, I am working with people that I will sit there and for the first 10 minutes or so, I'm like, man, it is amazing. This person even wants to spend some time with me. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm in shock And, and loving it and honored But then when we dive into the work and it starts to become strategic initiatives to help that fulfillment be delivered, to help them get away from behaviors and conducts and patterns that aren't serving them and the people they love most best and or even professionally and personally serving them best, it is really easy to create that shift. But again, it kind of lends itself to something we talked about earlier. You can't just sit there and be like, I want it to change. I hope it changes. It'd be great if this changed. You've got to do the footwork. You've got to lean into it. You've got to have a plan, a blueprint. I do not play chess, but I love the analogy of a chess board. You've got to look at your board and be like, what am I doing? What is my objective? Where am I heading? And be convicted and get on it and make some tough choices and start taking care of yourself. But what's awesome, brother, is the fulfillment comes behind that energy. It is so rewarding. It is so liberating. And I see people... And, and I'll share this with you. you. You hit a hot button for me. So I, I'm very fired up about this topic. Many, many times people who are not having the best relationship with alcohol come to me and I, and I again, will say, listen, I want to make a respectful suggestion. I'm going to make an ask and I have no business to ask you for anything. I'm going to ask you to take a day at a time. I'm going to respectfully ask you a day at a time to take a 30 day break from drinking. Why? I want you to see how you feel not having alcohol for 30 days. And I want to talk about that as we meet week in and week out throughout those 30 days. 
that's like such an obvious thing for me to share with you because watching that transition and watching that energy and seeing that glow and watching people just sort of blossom as they get clear, I love that part of it. But that applies to many, many things. That's sure. just an easy one to offer up to you. If I hear you correctly, it's it's very similar to like business strategy of, of what I teach organizations. You know, they have to have this clear shared vision and they have to define strategic initiatives and they have to understand like what results are trying to achieve. And when they do this and they execute successfully, they achieve amazing things. Right. So it, it sounds like the same thing just on a personal level of, of having this like personal blueprint, like this personal strategy of saying, Hey, here's my objective, right? This is what I want. Here are some initiatives that I'm going to pursue. And ultimately these are the results that I'm hoping to achieve. Is that, did I say that correctly? Spot on. It couldn't have been said any better, really spot on. And it is all really relevant. And I love and again, I'm, I'm very big on anonymity. I'll never share anyone's identity nor any company's identity. There was a very large publicly held company that reached out to me for work on some of these areas with more of their personnel. And it was so rewarding because this was such a vast, large, well-monetized, successful entity that I got plugged into. But the conversations were serving everyone really well on a personal level, but they were driving professional results. And it was so exciting. And there was so much energy and people were having and experiencing different things that they hadn't had or experienced before because they were changing certain patterns and habits. And like, it's obvious stuff. Like we challenged people to get more rest. We challenged people. I'm like, I want you instead of going to happy hour, I'd like you to like take a walk. I'm by the way, there's nothing wrong with happy hour. Happy hour is happy hour. It's happy. It's good. But yep. I want you to like go for a walk. I want you to go for a run. I want you to drink lots of water. I want you to watch your food. I want you to move. I want you to, to talk with each other. I want you to reach out and make an extra phone call or two a week. I want you to reconnect with someone you love or care about that you haven't spoken to in a while. We just started feeding into this group. And again, in this very well-constructed corporate entity, we started feeding them with those things. And lo and behold, it was just amazing to watch what happened. The work environment was better. The productivity was better. People were happier. They were enjoying themselves more. There was more laughter. Everyone was getting up earlier. Everyone was feeling better. It just all follows suit. And it's look, so here we are looking for what? Like it's, we're in this result driven society. Of course we are. Well, do you think the results are going to be better or worse if we take monumental care of ourselves? Of course, they're going to be better. Sure. So just that fulfillment, that really is an area of conviction for me. And it's easy to say and profess. It's hard to do. It's hard to live. And it's not something in the grind of life and in this sprint we're running through. People aren't necessarily defaulting to that. And when we can help them look at that and default to that, it produces remarkable results. Well said. And, and it's fascinating because, you know, going back to your story, you know, here you were, you know, this, this professional person, you're successful, you're earning money, you're leading a team. I mean, there's all these like things that were probably going really well for you at this time. And oftentimes we think of, oh, this person became an alcoholic or a drug addict after they got a divorce or lost a kid or became homeless or whatever. But sometimes we could turn to filling these voids when things are going really, really well for us. So it's kind of counterintuitive, don't you think? Absolutely. And, and, and very much under that realm, unfortunately, too many times, you know, self-sabotage comes in. And, and why is that? Like, why, why do we want to sabotage ourselves when we're successful? Another great question. I believe it lends itself back to when we started on this topic. I think there's a lot of stuff that many people, myself included, carry around. And there's some prescriptive elements in our life about things that happened to us or places and areas where we fell short. And when it's really getting good, that stuff can come up and come calling on us. And we start to want to get pulled back towards that prophecy of, I've never been able to get it together. I've never been able to really make it work. I've never really been able to amount to anything. And it's this massive tug of war. And unfortunately, and this is an area where I really try to pour into people, when it's really going well, that's when you really, really, really want to keep your eye on the prize. When things are really going in an outstanding fashion, that's when you want to default to some massive humility, to some random acts of kindness, to some monumental levels of service. 
and to start to put your priorities in the right order and keep a good eye on yourself and not lose your head. Because when it's going well, that is when we will get our own legs taken out from under us. And many times we're the ones taking them out. That's a great point. Let's talk about recovery. Cause you sure. said something early on, which I thought was interesting where you, you said to yourself, you know, after you took that pill, after you relapsed and you're like, well, forget about it. You know, I already relapsed. Might as well just go all in. Do you believe recovery is like linear or do you think it's a lot more messy for most people? And I know friends that, you know, they get clean and then they relapse, they get clean, they, they relapse. Is there hope for them or do they just give into their natural desires? I I think there's hope for everybody. And I think it's, and I I don't ever want to be vague with any of my answers, but it, it is so random and there's so many elements that tie in sometimes it's very linear and sometimes it all makes a lot of sense and sometimes it's categorically textbook and sometimes it's it's a massive emotional upheaval and a lot of chaos and then out of the chaos comes something really beautiful and sometimes it's a mix of both and it's again that's not to give a vague or a general stroke on the answer but it's, there's not a prescribed method or way or result. It's many, many things and so many things tie into it. And it's tough. I am surrounded by a lot of chronic relapse. I am a product of relapse. I don't believe in it. Again, you don't meet many people who suffer from what I suffer from who are old. They don't get old. We end up dead or we end up in jails or institutions. So when you really have what I have, or you really need to be recovering, a program of consistent recovery must become a daily endeavor. Eventually, if you are going to keep going in and out, you will not make it back. Eventually, if you're going to keep going in and out, you won't make it back. And and bottoms grow greater and greater. I hate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will work vigilantly against it. I'm very blessed. Twice a week, I go up to a store and I do group. And I will tell you, firsthand, that is better for me than the community that's there. I get so much out of that group. I love that time so much, but I'll sit there speaking to men and women who are in their first 30 days of sobriety again. And I mostly topically stay on the fact that relapse is just like right there waiting for them. And they have to be so, so, so vigilant. And many of them have been through relapse. So it's just a very consistent theme a day at a time. I am subject and vulnerable to relapse today as I ever was from day one. And as someone is who's coming in on day one in recovery, it's, it's literally that one day at a time slogan is really literal and very purposeful. I have to live my life one day at a time. Sometimes I literally brother will live my life a minute at a time. Yeah. And that it comprises a bunch of days. And, and that's a great perspective to have that you don't have to figure it out 20 years into the future. You just have to be good one day at a time. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, Stephen. What advice do you have for people that are under immense pressure to perform? And they also struggle with addiction because some of them may not be able to perform without a certain substance. So I think of people that may be working uh, a lot of hours, maybe in investment banking or financial services or you know, other type of leadership roles where they just, their schedules are so grueling and they're traveling all the time and they just, they need to be energized, but they feel drained. So they think that they have to rely on a a substance. What do you say to them? I implore them. It's, you know, if you heard me sigh, you heard me sigh for a reason. It's, it's unfortunately all too common. And I, I like to step back and, and first of all, really acknowledge everything they're doing, everything they've done and everything that potentially they'll do. That's where I want to start. And the second thing I want to tell them is that they, they have a real responsibility and a, a real level of accountability to take care of themselves and to start to find greater solutions to what's pulling them down or holding them back than what they're currently participating in. And that there are greater solutions. And I have to ask them, to trust themselves a little bit. And then if they're engaging with me directly to trust me a little bit. And again, let me give them some respectful suggestions for a better way, a better path, a better day. So they can feel better. There is energy waiting for them. There, there is wind that will be put into their proverbial sail. It's not found in the bar at the airport. It's sure. not found again. It's not found at happy hour. Well, there's nothing wrong with happy hour and there's nothing wrong with the bar at the airport. It's just, that's not where, that fulfillment and that renewal is going to occur. 
you know, you're traveling a lot. Where are you traveling? Find somewhere where you're traveling where there's a great park. Again, like I'm big on people going for walks. I want to tell you why. They don't do it and they should. Sure. They should. They should go for a walk and look around and take a deep breath and make a call. And if they have families and if they have children and they have a spouse, like instead of going and running around, so you've got that, you've got that day. Again, I'm thinking a lot about people who are traveling and it's normal and they're out there in meetings and then there's that dinner and then it's nighttime, you know, get some quiet time for yourself, get up early before your day starts or get the dinner meeting pushed up a little earlier. If you can and leave some time for yourself afterwards, pour into your family, pour into your children pour into your spouse. If that all fits, Yeah, if that's yeah. not part of your wheelhouse, pour into your mom and dad, pour into your siblings, pour into your relationships and your friendships so that you're not carrying around the burden of your day-to-day responsibilities and the feeling like that while you're trying to provide for the people you love the most, you're also neglecting them. That can help ease that shame cycle where you feel like you're neglecting them because you're working so much. Well, the the way that you take the power away from that is by pouring into them. You make an extra FaceTime call. There's so many ways we can stay connected now, even if we're not in the same state. You know, you and I aren't in the same location right now, but this call is going and going and going. and, and, And there's a lot of really productive content here. And it's just because we both planned this moment and we both got on the call. It was on our calendar. Put things on your calendar. I'm going to call my kids. I'm going to call my wife. Take a break. And then the self-care, brother, that's another area I'm just huge on that. Take a good, if you're traveling or if you're running bell to bell, get yourself set up, like bring some great food to work so that you don't have to just go out and eat and do anything. Really stay hydrated. That's huge. Whether it's prayer, meditation, whatever your version of quiet time is, take it, take it and provide that for yourself. Do some things for you. Block out a half hour where you're on do not disturb and just think or make some lists of things you want to do and just take a deep breath. Give yourself a break. And I I want to end with one other thing. And wherever everything's going and whatever's going on and whatever you're in the middle of, and if you are in the abyss, do not beat yourself up. Do not beat yourself up. It doesn't help. It's not going to work. You're already tired. You're more tired when you're tired and you're beating yourself up. It's a lot of work. Like love, nurture, and empower yourself and really provide that self-care. You will, and it's, 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 it takes so little to procure great results. The minute there's a paradigm shift and these things are executed on, the feedback I get is incredible. People are like, you know, I feel incredible. Like, I'm just happy. Like, it's just more peaceful. I'm like, yes. You're taking care of you because we neglect ourselves. We're so quick, including me, by the way. Like, please don't let my halo blind you. Right. Please don't think that like I, I am a, a product of my constant progression and regression in every area I am mentioning to you. Sure. But I, but I absolutely am convicted about all of this. It is one of my favorite things to offer to, to great people, people who have accomplished things I'll never accomplish in my life. But I love pouring in because unfortunately, the first thing we will do is neglect ourselves in the midst of our pursuit of what we have to have and what we've got to get. And it's like, and then we put ourselves last. Well, you're not going to get to your pursuit putting yourself last. Yeah. Excellent point. Well, let me ask you this last question here. What if somebody right now is in that deep abyss and they're thinking, I have a problem and I need to get help, but they also think wow, if I go get help, my life may unravel. You know, maybe, maybe I've kept it a secret from loved ones and I'm afraid if I come out, you know, that may impact the relationships or they may lose their job. And they, they think about the things that they will lose, right. Or the ways Mm -hmm. that, you know, their life right now will be disrupted. So then they think to themselves, look, I'll just set some new year's resolutions. I'll work a little bit Mm -hmm. harder. I'll be a little bit more disciplined. I got this. I can handle this myself. What are your thoughts on that? Numerous, but I'll, I'll try to quantify them to, to some touch points. If there is a, a complete level of unmanageability that you just cannot navigate through and around, everything you're afraid of happening behind that unmanageability, and I'm being general again, purposefully, every fear or consequence you're imagining behind whatever this unmanageability is in your life those are nothing but yets. They are coming and they will come with a greater impact and emphasis on annihilating your life if you don't address whatever that quote unquote abyss is. 
But if you step up and you are courageous and bold and transparent and vulnerable and willing, there is not one line item on that list of everything that'll go wrong that will go wrong. It will all work itself out. I, I, and I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn. I'm not just an eternal optimist. It will absolutely all begin to rectify itself with that honesty, that transparency, and that vulnerability, because that's the first step. It's admitting that there is a problem. It's seeking out help, whatever that looks like. And there's so many ways to get help. It gives you the opportunity to stop this absolute decimation of everything that has been built and that you've worked so hard for. You are not going to very few and far between Almost none that I've seen are there cases where people grind it out and they just roll up their sleeves and they dig in and they make the resolutions and everything's resolved. Of course, I've never seen it. They don't come to me. I just see so much to the contrary of that where I want to really encourage people. There's so many avenues. There's so many ways to get help. There's so much out there to protect you. If you are an employer or an employee, there are so many rights you have where your health is concerned so that you can get the help you need and your job is not disturbed and everybody has circumstances, but the things you're afraid of losing, don't be afraid. You're going to lose them. They're all going. If you don't take action, if you take action, we'll start to live in the solution and things will improve. And here's what's great. There's nothing I need to tell anyone. The proof of concept makes itself available so quickly. It is the greatest convincer of all people. The minute there is an an alteration or a change of patterns and habits where people start to work their way out from where they feel stuck, it is remarkable how quickly that light bulb goes on. And then what happens? You know, you get something that's a little good and you want to see better and better and best. They build and they strive towards it because again, through proof of concept, they see it happening. So that's really what I'd say from a heartfelt place is there is a solution. There is hope. There is an answer. It's not in continuing to do the same thing and expecting different results. Well, I love that, Stephen. And I love your, you know, not only your optimism, but your faith, your courage, your vulnerability, your passion for this. And, you know, the message that you shared today, I think is so powerful for the listeners. So thank you so much for coming on today on the show, sharing your story, opening up. I know that's not easy to do. Talking a little bit about your book. I highly recommend it, Filling the Void. It's out there now. And I, I think if, if you're struggling with things and you need help, you know, Steven is such a great guy and I can't speak more highly of you. So thank you once again for your time on today's show, because we all struggle with certain things and people aren't alone and they need to hear that. Absolutely. Hey, thank you again for having me, brother. I appreciate it. If you're out there, whether it's through myself or, or any other professional organization or entity, please reach out and, and get the support and help you need. Nobody needs to do any of this alone. There's far too much of that going on. Steve, God bless you. Have a great day. And thank you so much for giving me the time. All right. Thank you, Stephen. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. If there's any way I can be helpful to you and your business, or if you have feedback or ideas regarding this podcast, shoot me an email at contact at I would love to connect. All the best. Thank you.